0: Welcome to the DeCaios Podcast with Andrew Swelp. Here, we equip Christians to rightly divide God's word and teach the nations to obey Christ. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Dekinous Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Swope, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode. We are going to be talking about apologetics today and specifically answering the question of why study apologetics. Uh, Before we dive into that, I want to say thank you so much. For those of you who are following us on social media, our ministry, um, really what's outside of this podcast is that we're going out and proclaiming the gospel in downtown Greenville. Uh, We're going to the abortion mill um, in Greenville. Um, and we're uh, looking in the future of doing more, going to more places and preaching the gospel. So thank you so much for all of your prayers and your support um, for you guys following us and um, how you've been praying for these families, specifically at the abortion clinic. It's been so encouraging to see, but we also know God's been at work, uh, especially uh, these past few months he's been at work um, as we have just been faithful uh, to proclaim the good news of God and also that we've just been willing um, to help these families and these women whatever, with whatever they need. So as I, am, as I am recording this podcast right now, my wife and I are actually planning on having dinner with a young lady who decided to keep her baby this past uh, week. Um, and so we're, we're so eager and grateful uh, to be able to minister to her. So keep praying for her and other women that we can uh, disciple them and also plug them in to a local church. All right, so we're going to dive right in into definitions first, and then we're going to give a couple of reasons why we should study apologetics. The definition for apologetics, that's really the more complex term, I guess you could say more theological definition, um, is it is a reasoned argument in justification for Christian doctrine. So it's these, it's the apologetics, is these reasoned arguments. justification for Christian doctrine. Uh, Another way that could be more in layman terms is that it is is giving a reasoned defense for the beliefs of Christianity and also the Bible. And so core beliefs of Christianity, what we believe about scripture, um, we need to, in apologetics, if we're going to do it properly, we need to have a reasoned defense and we need to give that to people. Um, That's an interesting definition. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk um, about what really apologetics, I think, should look like, and that's going to, I think, give you some foreshadowing into the approach I take with apologetics. Um, we'll talk about the different perspectives uh, in the next episode uh, of the podcast, talking about the, the main ways and the main approaches that we could do apologetics. But you're going to get a little foreshadowing of, of the way that I take it. So why is apologetics so important? Why is apologetics so important? Um, it is so important because God says it is so important. Uh, specifically, if we go to First Peter uh, chapter 3, it says, Put but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So it's, it's this idea God says, we are supposed to always be prepared, always be ready to give a defense for the one who asks you and asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Um, and so first and foremost, we're supposed to be prepared, but, but right from the get-go, the root of it all should be that we're honoring Christ in this way. And that's really the heart of apologetics is, in fact, that we do honor Christ that we are not necessarily, and this is my approach, we're not necessarily giving him a defense, but we are in fact um, exposing the truth, revealing the truth that is found in Jesus Christ, that we hold it up high to the rest of our culture, because we have in our hearts, like it says in 1 Peter 3, in verse 13, that we have in our hearts set Christ as Lord, That is our primary goal is to make sure that he is holy and he's holy before the rest of the nations. Um, There's other places in scripture where God says that we are supposed to be um, apologetic. And I don't mean the way of saying sorry, but we are supposed to be we are supposed to have an apologetic. We're supposed to be able to give a reasoned defense. Um, I would say that we might need to have a reasoned offense as well. Um, but Colossians 2 is another place uh, in verse eight. It says, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So it's also this idea of being prepared and being aware that there's these philosophies, this op- these opinions of the day that do seek to capture uh, many of us. They seek to capture the Christian's mind. And we have to be watchful of this. I think one of the most dangerous things we could find out in our culture and in the church specifically is that there are not these philosophies and these opinions of the world that have creeped into the church, you could say church walls, um, that have creeped in and they have captivated people's minds, Christians' minds. And so we we have to remind ourselves and see to it, like it says in Colossians, see to it that we are not taken captive by these philosophies but that we are taken captive by the word of Christ. So being ready, being watchful. um, This is also in 2 Corinthians. We see in 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive, to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And there's that last part right there that is important. Is seeing that this is, in 2 Corinthians, this is a letter to the church saying that we need to be ready to have discipline for every kind of disobedience. And that disobedience we see is rooted in these, uh, these lofty opinions that come against the knowledge of God. So really, it needs to start with the church, right? Now, apologetics does indeed start with in the context of the church that we've got to be ready to punish every disobedience that comes from um, that comes from these lofty opinions, these um, these uh, philosophies that are according to human tradition rather than the knowledge of God. So it starts with the church, and we've got to destroy these arguments. Um, our our weapons are not this this flesh on flesh warfare, uh, not hand-to-hand combat physically, but it's that we've got, um, with the Word of God, we've got divine power in that. That's where the authority is to destroy strongholds, and so these opinions, they're going to be destroyed. These, uh, these arguments um, are going to be brought before uh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that is the throne of God, and at his right hand is Christ. So every thought is going to come before Christ and is going to be submissive. Um, and that's, that plays into kind of our eschatology, I think, a little bit, is that Christ is putting all of his un- enemies underneath his feet as his footstool, that God is, in fact, working in a way so that there's all these enemies before Christ and being subjected to Christ. Um, and so that's, a, that's an important thing to keep in mind is that our eschatology does matter especially when it does come uh, to, the, to the practice, to the study of apologetics. Um, and so this is important because God said so. God said that we're supposed to take apologetics seriously, that we're supposed to work on it. We're supposed to be, in a way, we're supposed to be ready um, for the culture to speak up. That's, that's truly the heart of apologetics. It's not that we want to go into these debates. Um, I think Votie Bakum said, and I think he said it very well, um, many times uh, we see the apologist as the one who's having that formal debate with somebody, the, one of the greatest atheists of our, atheists of our time, um, one of the greatest philosophers of our time, and they're going toe-to-toe. Um, but that's really not the case of, of what we see with uh, casual, everyday apologetics. Uh, we are not in formal debates, and there's not great of a likelihood that we're going to be uh, one day. So the reality is... We've got to be prepared as the body of Christ, every single one of us, for the culture to speak up against the knowledge of God, and we are supposed to respond back. We're supposed to be ready, giving a defense, and in a way also an offense um, to the hope that's within us. Um, and so God told us to do this. God said we should be ready for that. He said watch out for this. Now the second reason, so that was the first reason, is that God has, has told us to be studying apologetics, understand what the culture is, is going to say to us what it's going to bring against the knowledge of God and what we need to be prepared um, to destroy these strongholds with the word of God. The second reason is that because our culture is, in fact, subjected to the the judge, and therefore they need hope. And this is what we see with 1 Peter 3.15. So this is what indeed distinguishes uh, approaches to apologetics, but this is a huge reason why I think and really why I got into doing um, studying apologetics and looking into all these different things looking into different religions but of course looking into these different approaches um, and why I, why I was really intrigued by it is because there is one approach that I've known very well growing up that I've I've been exposed to a lot when it comes to Christian apologetics um, I just I'm very familiar with it a lot of YouTube videos that I watched when I first became a Christ follower um, they were they had this approach so the first approach is that, the culture and the non-christian are the ones who are in the judgment seat and therefore we are the ones christians are the ones who must give a defense like if you were to picture a courtroom we're supposed to be the lawyer giving a defense for our defendant who is we could say you know Christ or Christianity and we're supposed to defend the existence of god the deity of christ we're supposed to defend the authority of scripture that it's inspired by god so the the culture is put in this judgment seat. And so we're supposed to we're supposed to give an answer to them. You know, we're supposed to give them a defense. And I think that can be understood I think with the language of the New Testament, I think we could assume that, but I think we need to be more more careful here because many times in scripture how we're supposed to deal with the world is actually quite contrary to this idea and this approach. The culture and the non-Christian are not in the judgment seat. The reality we see with the apostles, the reality we see of these New Testament letters um, that you know God is encouraging us and he's telling us this is how our approach is supposed to be, is the reality is God is in the judgment seat. That he is the one who is in the courtroom and he's sitting on the throne. He's sitting on the judgment seat and he's going to decide the verdict, not the culture. So God is the judge and then the culture is supposed to respond is supposed to respond back to him. They're supposed to give a defense for why they might be in the right. Um, Because in the end, in the end, uh, we see, according to what Scripture has told us, that these people already know, the culture already knows, the non-Christian already knows, that God exists. They already know that Jesus is Lord. And they already know that God's Word is in fact inspired and inerrant. And I'm going to give you some examples of that, that we see from Scripture. So so understand this, God is the one in the judgment seat and the culture is in fact supposed to have their turn. It's not just that the Christian is supposed to defend their faith. The atheist, uh, the Muslim, they also have to stand before God giving a defense because that's truly the scenario. That's truly the situation. So we need to be get very careful here because I think the latter approach is way more helpful, but not just helpful, it's way more biblical. Uh, It's way more biblical in its foundation. The first approach, I think, has misinterpreted things, Um, and several people have helped me realize this. Um, There's been a lot of people who've helped me and influenced me. I think Apology has been very helpful in this way. Um, Also, there's a guy, but Cy Ten Brugenkate he has been very helpful and helped me understand that we we see this um, many times differently. We don't see apologetics in this way. The reality is he is on the judgment seat. And so they already know. Romans 1 is, is telling us this clearly. Is that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what they're doing is as a culture and as a non-Christian, as a, sec- a secularist, or as part of a different religion, is they suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. So it's really not the issue that they need proof of God. It's the reality that they already know God, but they suppress that truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse So look, our apologetic must understand this, must understand that they know God exists. They've clearly perceived it, his eternal power, his divine nature, these invisible attributes. They have uh, been perceived. They have been seen. They know it. So they're without excuse. So it's not that they're in the judgment seat. It's that God is in the judgment seat, and he's going to judge them. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, right? or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the reality is that when we're talking to these people, they know God exists, but they don't honor him or give thanks to him. And so that's why they're futile in their thinking. That's why they're lost, and their foolish hearts have become darkened. And that's why you see a lot of abrasiveness. That's why you see a lot of um, there's a lot of pride that comes in debating, um, especially with somebody who doesn't believe in God and, and they haven't trusted Christ is that they're darkened They're They've become futile in their thinking and they really have no basis for their worldview. We see in Psalm 14 1, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So it's not the wise person who says there is no God, but it's that foolish person. The foolish person is one who says there's no God. God doesn't exist. And so we have to understand this. They're fools, and their foolish hearts have become darkened. And they know God, but yet they're suppressing the truth with unrighteousness. So they know God exists, but they also know Jesus is God. And Scripture is, scripture is clear that men know Jesus is God. They know him to be God, but yet they refuse to acknowledge him as God. And they refuse to receive him as their Lord, as, as Yahweh. So they might know he's God, they might know he's divine, but they refuse to acknowledge him as God, and they refuse to acknowledge him and receive him as their king. Um, I mean, this has been also displayed in Colossians 1. You see a theme here that we're being instructed by Scripture. We're not going to, our apologetics are not going to be determined by philosophies or by rationale, but it's going to be determined by the Word of God. And that's, that's how we're going to determine our method, our approach to any, apologetics to any evangelism so on and so forth colossians 1 says this about christ that he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him that christ created these things so what is in creation both visible and invisible heaven and earth all things were created by him, and all things were created through him and for him. So they know Christ is God. They know it to be the case because he is, in fact, the creator. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of, the, of his cross. So they, they know God to be the case because they suppress the truth and unrighteousness like Romans 1 says. They know their creator. And not only do they know creator like he's God, the Godhead, but that he's God and that he's Jesus. That he's created all things and through him uh, all things have been created and are for him. So there's also, we see in John 1, there's also the basis that we see... In John 1, that he comes to the world, but the world doesn't receive him. They don't receive him as Lord. They don't receive him as uh, the Savior, but they do know him. They do know him because he is their creator. So Jesus, it says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god so listen once again we don't need to defend christ and his deity that's not the first thing we need to realize and the place that we're coming from we need to understand that they know god and they know christ as creator they know his deity but they don't receive him as divine they don't receive him and believe in him because like it says in this passage they didn't receive him because they were not born of god and they must be born again. So they know he is God, but because he's in the beginning, because he's created everything, but we truly see that they have to be born again. And so when we're doing apologetics, there is this there's this nature in which we're actually doing evangelism as well. And we'll talk more about that I think later on. Um, in these next few episodes, that really when we're doing apologetics, we have to come from the place that these people are not going to understand. They're not going to be justified before God, uh, who is on the judgment seat, unless they've been born again of the Spirit. And so that's what has to take place. So we have to come in strong here with an offense. I need to defend my beliefs before the culture. No, we need to come on offense and say, you believe in God. And you know Christ is Lord. You know he is, but you don't receive him as Lord because you suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, you continue to do that. Um, You know he's your creator. You know all things are for him, but you choose to push him away. And that's because your hearts are, your foolish hearts are darkened. So they must be born again. And we have to get to that place um, of realizing, you know, nothing's going to be productive. Nothing's going to happen unless the spirit of God comes within them, giving them not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. So they know God exists. They know that Jesus is in fact God and he's deity. Um, and they also know that the scriptures are true. And and listen, um, there's a little bit of a nuance here for me. Um, I believe that it is great to prove the reliability of Scripture. In fact, I have a passion for that. It's one of the things I love. I love to talk with people about how we can we can have certainty that the Scriptures are, in fact, inspired by God. Um, I love I love doing that exercise. I love practicing that. I love um, working with people through that and seeing that there's a reliability that Scripture has that no other sacred text can even come close to. Um, I would say this. If we want to work... On any area, on any area of apologetics, that's in more of an evidential, and we'll talk about this in the next episode. But more of an evidence-based approach, um, I would say we need to focus on the reliability of Scripture. Um, if you want to, if you want to be really helpful, especially when it comes to talking with other religions, that you come to the text and you say, "This is why Scripture is reliable. That's why the Bible is reliable, and why the Quran is corrupt." Um, why uh, the Bhagavad is corrupt. Um, so th- there's some benefit, I think, to this when it comes to um, really showing that there's a reliability to Scripture. But, so I think that's good. I think we can try to work on textual criticism. I think we can try to work on showing the reliability of Scripture to those who might be of other beliefs when it comes to beliefs in God. Um, everybody has beliefs. I think we can really fight against the atheist belief, the naturalistic worldview, with this idea that they need to give a defense to God, um, and so we can turn around on them. But if we want to really, I think, have good conversation uh, with people of other religions, and we want to be completely thorough, we need to work on understanding textual criticism, understanding reliability of the scriptures. Um, God has preserved his word. He has kept it, and we can trust in it. But it's not that they don't know the Bible to be true and authoritative. They know it to be true. But that God's law is not written on their hearts. Once again, they need to be born again. They need the Spirit of God to give them a new heart, one that has the law of God written on it. Um, So therefore, because they don't have the law of God written on their hearts, the Spirit hasn't worked on them, they're going to detest the Scriptures. They're going to suppress the Scriptures. They're going to try to twist the Scriptures. But they know the Scriptures to be true. They know that if you test it and test it and test it, it's going to stand. And they know that there is reliability to the scriptures like nothing, no other text that we have in history. But what they'll do is they know it to be true, and yet because God has not written his law on their hearts, they're going to hate it. They're going to absolutely hate it and despise it. And when you speak it to them, uh, there's going to be some, because of their hardness of heart, they're going to turn away from you. They're, gonna, they're not going to be willing to listen. That's because they have not been born again. But we know this to be true. We have to, listen Christian, if we're going to do apologetics, evangelism um, with people, we need to understand we come from the basis that everybody does indeed know. Scripture is authoritative. It is divine. There's something unique about it. They know it to be the case. And especially Christians, those who've been born again, we do believe that God's word is final and it is our ultimate authority so we go on the basis of that and not any other philosophy and many of our apologetics and i think there's some great apologists out there but they're going with the wrong approach because they're not starting with god and his word and they're not and therefore they're not going to honor him completely so we know that all scripture is breathed out by god second timothy 3:16 that Heaven and earth are going to pass away. But it says Jesus says to his disciples and those listening, his words are not going to pass away. That the word of God will stand forever. The grass is going to wither away. The flowers are the flowers of the field are going to pass away. But the word of our God stands forever. So that's in Luke twenty-one, thirty-three, about Jesus' words, and then Isaiah forty-eight, talking about the word of God stands forever. Um Hebrews 1.3, they know by the word of his mouth. They know he's created things by his very word, by his word, the word of his mouth, that he creates things and he sustains things in creation. And they can't deny this. They know this to be true, but they're going to continue to revile it. They're going to continue to twist it. They're going to continue to suppress it. And that is because God's law is not written on their hearts. They have not been born of the spirit of God. We also see that God's word is living and active. They know this to be true. They know if we use the word of God properly, they're going to get cut. And the reality is, all of culture, all of culture doesn't have a shield against the word of God, and they don't have a sword against the word of God. Listen, they might have some, maybe some clothing, but God's word tears through that. God, the sword of the Spirit tears through that because the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to cut through bone and marrow is what Hebrews 4 is is showing us. So we have to stand on the word of God and say, you know the word of God to be true. We can show you the reliability, and yet you're still going to reject it because you've not been born again. And God needs to change your heart, and that's by his grace. That's the second reason is that we uh, can stand knowing that they know God to exist. They know that Jesus is, is God. And they know that the scriptures are true and perfect and will not pass away. And that's coming from the reason that the culture is, in fact, subjected to the judge. And they need hope. And that should be our motivation, is that these people need hope. Because the reality is, they're not in the judgment seat. They're standing before the judge. And they're going to need to have a good defense before that judge. Because if they don't have a good defense before that judge, they will be found unrighteous and be condemned. So this should be a motivation for us to do apologetics. It's because the culture is in desperate need of it. The unbeliever is in desperate need of hope that's living. And, and it's, it's, it's actually substantial. It's going to stand before God's, God's throne. Um, that's a motivation. So that's the second reason. And there's a lot in there. I know that, but hopefully it was helpful to you. The third reason... And this is really going to be a quick one is because why is apologetics so important? Because if we are faithful Christians, we will be apologetic Christians. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean that um, I don't mean that we are going to be apologizing for our Christianity. Right. I don't, I don't mean that we're going to be apologizing for our beliefs, um, for doctrine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we if we're going to be faithful to King Jesus, we need to be able to give this reason defense for the hope that we have in Christ. It's, it's just going to be something that when we pursue faithfulness with him with him, when we're chasing after him in godliness, by faith, that when we're doing that, automatically, just naturally, the world is going to ask us, why, why do you have this hope within you? It's just going to happen. The reality is when we go into this world, Jesus tells us we need to be salt and light. That means we're going to stand out from the rest of the world. And we need to be apologetic Christians. We need to be in being faithful Christians, we're going to be apologetic Christians. We need to be willing to be salt and light that preserves and exposes the truth to the world. So whether you're in a fa- you're doing your factory work, whether you're waiting tables, whether you're raising kids, whether you're teaching in the classroom, or if you're running a business, no matter what your career might be, no matter what your vocation is, you must be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within you. So if, it, if we're preaching... We need, to, we need to be reminded that we have to study apologetics. When we're teaching people, we have to be reminded it's, it's important to study apologetics that when we're discipling people, we need to understand apologetics. When we're eating, we need to understand apologetics. When we're worshiping or when we're going to work, we need to understand apologetics. You have to understand that if you're going to be a faithful Christian in this world, you have to be an apologetical Christian as well. So there's going to be these objections and there's also going to be these questions that unbelievers and the world are going to ask you. Why do you why do you have hope like that? Why why is your hope in Christ? And we've got to be ready Christians, especially I mean, I know we I know people probably say it every single time, every generation is going to say, we've got to be ready to give an apologetic. We've got to be ready to be salt and light. But but truly I mean this right now in the time that we're at in our country, the pandemic stuff We're seeing that pastors are being locked up. Um, We're seeing that regulations, the government is putting regulations on the church um, that we haven't really truly seen with the American church, I don't think ever in our history. Um, We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to give our defense for the hope that's within us, the hope that we have in Christ. We need to seek to honor Christ as, as holy, to honor Christ as our Lord, and we need to do that. Um, we need to we need to do that with an apologetic. We need to do that by putting in the work uh, and studying and looking up things and making sure um, this is what the Mormon says, this is what the the secularist says, this is what um, the Buddhist says. We need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that's within us. So I hope this was helpful to you today. This is something that we have to work on as a church. This is something that we have to we have to put some more time in. I think. In, in our own personal time, we have to put in the work of really being able to give a defense for our faith, um, but it needs to come from the right perspective. It needs to come from the idea that the world is in judgment before God, and they need this hope. They, we offer this hope to them. It's not just that we defend it, but it's also that we're offering it to them. And so I, I think this is uh, something we need to work on. I'm praying that we as a church are going to work on it and we're going to have more men and women rise up to the occasion, stand before the public square, go into the go into the churches, go into the local communities, and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, setting him apart as Lord and holy, and, and being able to give a reasoned defense for the hope that's within us, that whenever whenever somebody asks, we might be able to give them an answer, and they one day might be able to give an answer to God that is not uh, by anything else other than faith in Christ alone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Kaios Podcast. Uh, if you want to learn more about our ministry, what we're doing when it comes to going out in the public square, going out to these clinics, you can go to our website. Um, it's the Ministries.com and it's spelled like it is with the, with the podcast, uh, Ministries.com. Go there and learn more about what we do outside of this podcast as well as how you might be able to help us. Um, If you want to support us in any way, please message me or you can also donate um, on that website um, to our ministry efforts. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Decanist Podcast. And continue to pray for us as we're ministering to people and helping families, helping women um, at the clinic as well as in downtown. God bless.